right, take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 5. Five twenty-seven to 32. This is a very, very important message for us all to get. It is not a complicated message. Fairly simple, I think. My prayer is, is that we will all get it, understand it, and apply it to our lives and recognize some very great truths from the passage. Over the past couple months, we've been looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. We have seen Jesus' compassion on display. We've seen his power on display. We've seen he's the one that we ought to seek for forgiveness. We've seen he's the Lord and the Savior. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, we saw Jesus was the great fisherman. In Luke Chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, we saw he was the one that could heal the leper. The unclean became clean. And then in Luke chapter 5, 17 to 26, we saw Jesus was not only the one who heals, but also the one who forgives sin. As we've gone through this chapter, a couple of key themes have become apparent. First, Jesus is all about the outcast. Jesus is about the fisherman, the leper, the paralytic. We also saw that the healed ones worship Jesus. Common theme all the time. And then finally, we saw the religious elites reject Jesus. The Pharisees have come on the scene, and they are beginning to question everything Jesus does. Today, we're going to see these same three themes continue on. And arguably, we're going to see all of these themes repeated over and over and over throughout the book of Luke. There are going to be times as we go through the gospel accounts where you're going to be tempted to say, Mike is preaching the same thing this week as he preached last week. Guess what? I am. You know why? The Bible repeats itself over and over. Now, you might ask, well, why not go to something else then? Because the, re the reason for not changing is, first, if God repeats it, then we need to know it a lot. He repeats it for a reason. Themes are repeated for a reason. Obedience comes... Worship comes when we recognize who Jesus is. The more we understand who he is, the more we will obey. So as we go through the Gospels of Luke, John, Mark, Matthew, we're going to know him more. And therefore, we will be motivated to obey him more. It must not be out of self-righteous reasons that we obey God. We must not obey him to earn favor with God. 
We must obey him out of love and worship of God. We're going to see that is true even today. Today we're going to see Jesus, who Jesus came to save. Let's look at our passage in Luke 5, 27. After that, he, that is Jesus, went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began following him. And Levi Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have come, or I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Again, Father, we see here our Savior and who he is about. We pray that today that we will be characterized like those whom you seek, that we will look like Levi, not like the Pharisees. We pray that our hearts will be like Levi, not the Pharisees. Help us, Father, to understand our need of you. Help us, Father, to learn from your word now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, today, we're going to examine the people Jesus came to deliver from their sin and their judgment, the judgment they deserve. What type of people did Jesus come to call to repentance? What, are the, what characterized these people? What are they like? What did they act like? How did the world around them view these people? How did the world think of these, or what did the world think of the people Jesus came to save? There's really two simple points in this passage. I mean, if there isn't a simpler passage, this is it. Two simple points. You ready? First, the people Jesus came to save, that's one group. And then there's the people Jesus did not come to save. We want to be like group one. We don't want to be like group two. Very simple. Does everybody understand that? If you want to say, okay, what does my life look like? I pray that everybody can say you look like group one, not group two. Okay? Those are the people he came to save. First, let's start with people, the people Jesus came to save. In verses 5, 27 to 29, we see Levi. After that, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Levi is the perfect example of people Jesus came to save. Who are the ones Jesus came to save? Answer, the hated ones. The hated ones. 
Jesus came to save the ones you'd least like or the least likely. I've said it over and over, right? And a matter of fact, in this case, Levi is one of the most least or the, the least likely of all the people. He is hated. He's despised. Levi was the least liked man in his society. Tax collectors were despised people, especially these tax collectors. Notice there's a special thing here. Sitting in the tax booth, there were three types of tax collectors. There were the general tax collectors that worked for the upper government people. Those people very rarely contacted people. Then there was another group that were over the people that sat in the booth. They also weren't as despised. But Levi, he was the one that the people were always in contact with. He would be the equivalent today of an IRS agent. They come to your door and they say, why did you do this? You know, they look over everything. Why not more? But it was a lot worse than the IRS agents today. Much worse. Tax collectors that sat in booths collected their salary from the people. So the Roman government gave these people freedom to collect whatever they wanted, in a sense. Now, they would tell them, they would set stipulations, but most of them ignored the stipulations, if not all. They were crooks. <laughs> and what they would often do is they were the equivalent today of a loan shark. You know what loan sharks are? They're the ones that give out money to people and then charge them a real high interest. And if they don't show up, they then what? Beat them or call in some thugs to hurt them. Well, the same thing was true with the taxes. If you didn't have the money, I could either throw you in jail or I'll loan you the money and I'll charge a real high interest rate. Now, the location appears to be right in the Capernaum area. So who is this tax collector, Levi? He was the one the fishermen would have brought their taxes to. What does that, uh, how does that relate to our friends that just got called, the fishermen? <laughs> Most likely, Peter was around. <laughs> James and John were around. Can you imagine the day that Jesus called Levi to come join the group? <laughs> the hated one. What do you think Peter thought? It doesn't say. It seems as though Peter got it. They immediately, it does not, no arguing, at least at this point. It seems to be he was attached or brought in. Levi, however, was probably one of the most hated men in all of that area. And this is who Jesus picked. This is who he chose to be his disciples. So far, we've seen some pretty amazing men, right? Fishermen, then lepers, then paralytics, now tax collectors, hated tax collectors. This is far from an all-star team. <laughs> How many of you would have picked these guys? If you were to put together a church and people that you were going to share the gospel with and spread the gospel with, this is not who people would have picked. <laughs> Again, God's ways are opposite our ways. 
He picked the hated ones to be his apostles. <laughs> Just like the apostle Paul, who was first the killer of Christians, then became the great apostle Paul that wrote Romans and some of the greatest books in all the Bible. Levi is another one of those. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. His other name is Matthew. So here is a guy that's hated by everybody, and this is the one he picks. But notice, Jesus does what he does. He calls the specially noticed one. The specially noticed. Le Levi was the object of Jesus' special attention, his interest. He was graciously picked. The way it's worded in the text, it says, after that, he went out and noticed this tax collector. The word noticed here is not just a short glance or just a casual, oh, he's there. The word noticed literally means that he was intently gazing on him, took special interest on Levi. Again, this is not the way we would think. He's the one. He took special interest of the least likely. Now, I often think of this in our church. Somebody comes in and they dress nice and everything's good and they have a full family. They have lots of children. And do we go, oh, a new possible family. Wow. They have children. They might be able to help. Do we take special notice of those? Do we take special interest of those? Or do we take just special notice of the normal people? How about like our children? I think of our children. You know, and I'm really ashamed of this. At times, children get lost in the church. <laughs> they play and have a good time. But do we take special notice of our children in our church? These would be the ones that, oh, they're just in the way. No, they're a part of this body. We should be encouraging them and loving them. That's what Jesus did. He took special notice of the hated one, the one that didn't make sense, the least likely. Levi was that way. He was a sinner. You know, I'm convinced that sometimes God chooses the worst of the worst so he can totally shut the mouths of the prideful. God, look, he doesn't pick the pretty ones, the cleaned up ones. He picks the wicked ones, the most evil ones. This is how God is. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Look, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, Or do you not know that the, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen, at this point, if we stopped at this spot, we stopped at verse 10, we'd all be going, yay, I'm glad those bad people aren't coming. They're not going to heaven. We might be tempted to think that way. We might be tempted if, if verse 11 wasn't there. We might think, oh, yeah, I'm glad no evil people are going to be in heaven. Only us good people. But look at verse 11. Such 
were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God, our God. God chooses these kind of people to make his kind of people. This is what God's all about. Praise the Lord. He's a gracious God. He takes special notice of the ones that are least likely. Jesus came to save the hated. He especially noticed even the wicked, and he called them. They're the called ones. And Jesus said to him, follow me, follow me. The interest Jesus had, the special notice he took in Levi, led him to call him to follow him. Jesus desired to make this sinner his disciple. And not just his disciple, but one of his 12 apostles. One of his inner circle, one of the twelve, he would establish the church, the beginning of the church forever. Wow, what an amazing thought. Levi, the wicked, detestable, hated tax collector, follow me. This is the same word used to describe Peter and James and John later or earlier when it said they followed him, left everything and followed him. Same concept. Levi was the same man who would write the first account of Jesus' life, the Gospel of Matthew. He said, come on, you're mine, follow me, the hated one. Jesus came to save sinners. This means he came to deliver sinners from bondage to their sin and the judgment they deserved. Now listen, it's important to note that when Jesus called somebody to follow him, he did Call them out of their previous lifestyle. In other words, Levi didn't continue to be the hated tax collector. He didn't continue to be the evil one that was a crook and held people's arms behind their back and, and forced them to give him money. He stopped. He called him to follow me. That's so important. There is a clean break from their past. But again, we see he picks graciously with unmerited favor. It wasn't because it wasn't because Levi had something special about him. It wasn't because Levi was good. It was real simple. God's grace picked an evil man. Praise the Lord. That should give us hope. That should give you hope, ladies and gentlemen. Does that give you hope? Think. Are you the evil man? Are you the evil woman? Are you the sinner? Are you the one that needs help? That's what he's about. He's about people like us. Sinners that need redemption, need salvation, need to be delivered. He says, follow me. Notice Jesus came to save him. He called them, and they're newly committed ones. There's a change here in Levi's life. He left everything behind and followed Jesus. Now, this can't be any more emphatic than the, in the language. He left everything behind. What does that imply? Well, for Levi, in a tax booth, 
for him to get up out of the tax booth and leave it is like career suicide. <laughs> you know why? Because there was 10 guys lined up to take a spot. The tax collector above him that wasn't sitting in the booth had plenty of guys that would jump on the opportunity to get rich by being rude to people. So as soon as he got out of that tax booth, he wasn't going back. He's not like the fishermen. He's not like James and John, remember, and Peter after Jesus died and was buried. They said, I'm going fishing. They couldn't go back. He couldn't go back. Oh, I'm going back to the tax booth to get rich again. No, he left everything. And it's as emphatic as you can possibly get. Got up and began to follow him. And the emphasis is he continued to follow him. He continued to go wherever he said. Didn't stop. He left everything. You know, this concept of total commitment is found throughout Luke. We're going to hear this over and over and over again. You are going to look at me at times and say, will you stop with the total commitment? Again, I remember... <laughs> sitting for the first seven months or so, listening to John MacArthur preach on Luke 9. <laughs> it was the first nine months I was at seminary, or eight months we were in seminary. Every week, <laughs> he was in Luke 9 talking about, you must be willing to die for Christ. You must give up everything for Christ. And it was like, by the end of the services, I was like, okay. I got it. I'm supposed to follow in him all the time. I'm supposed to be willing to die for him. But I'm such a sinner. I'm so prone to fall. But I'm going to follow him by his grace. I got it. I need you. Help me. That's where you got to be. By the end of the Luke, you're going to be crying out, I pray. God, help me to be obedient to you. Help me follow you. Help me be willing to give everything up to follow you. And then we're reminded he's worth it. <laughs> Why did Levi give up everything he had? Because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is Lord. He's the Savior. He's the Forgiver, the Redeemer, the Master, the good and kind Master. He had been delivered from the sin of being a crook. <laughs> he had been delivered from being a person that all he did was steal from people. And it was great. Let me ask you a question. Do we enjoy our sin? It's a trick question. <laughs> Do we enjoy our sin? Well, it depends on how you define enjoy. <laughs> Do you think that it was wonderful when Levi got up in the morning? Oh, great. I get to be rude to people today and cause them to cry and throw people in jail. Do you think he really enjoyed that? Interesting thought. The part of him, his conscience, 
that God had given him hated it. He had probably seared it bad. Said, no, 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 I'm supposed to be kind. No, I'm going to be mean. But he was miserable. Sin is miserable. So when we are delivered from that and we follow Jesus, there is joy. And we want to do nothing more than what? Honor the one that delivered us. And that's exactly what Levi does here. Look. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. Now, if you were in many churches today, if Levi got delivered and began to follow Jesus, you know what they would do? They would praise Levi. <laughs> They'd throw a big party for Levi. They'd go, Levi, you did it. Yay. You prayed that prayer. Way to go. <laughs> you did that act. Way to go. It's all about you. You did it. But notice the one that's saved doesn't do that. <laughs> the one that's saved does what? Let's honor Jesus. Let me throw a party. He did it. Jesus saved me. He's the master. Matter of fact, he throws a party. I don't think he throws a party so that they can party it up and get drunk and all those things. I think he invites all of his friends for the sole purpose of what? Saying, look at Jesus. Look at him. He's glorious. He's great. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I cannot um, emphasize this enough. Who gets the praise and honor when a person's delivered from their sinful lifestyle? We all say Jesus does. But then let me ask you a question. Why, after we become believers, we stop giving him credit? Why, after we become believers, all of our righteous deeds we do, we then have a tendency to exalt ourselves again. Do we understand that why we do anything good is because of the grace of God? Do we really get this? Or do we become just like the Pharisees that we will see in a little bit? Even after being delivered, we exalt ourselves and say, I did it, I'm better, I did this. I studied, I did this. Shame on us. All honor should go to our king. All praise should go to him. Our lives should be about praising Christ alone. I think it's important to note that the ones Jesus came to save are the ones the world would be least likely to pick. But when they're saved, they praise the right one. They get it. Do you get this? I think it plays into the whole thing. Anybody that thinks they deserve to be saved, he would never save. Because then they would do what? Give credit to themselves. But he saves the least likely so that they will do what? Exalt the one that deserves it. The master himself. Who gets the party in our life? 
Who's the hero in your households, parents? I was convicted by this. Who's the hero in our house? Is it Jesus or is it mommy and daddy? Did you hear that? That's convicting. Who do we throw the party for? Our master or us? Folks, this is so important. As we look at who Jesus is and who he came to save, we must remember that it's about him. It's not about us. The one Jesus came to save, get this, and they make it all about him. That's why they follow him. They honor him. They praise him. They follow him. They obey him. They love him. They write about him. They pray to him. They seek him. Why? Because they know him. So Jesus came to save the hated ones of our society. But notice next who Jesus did not come to save. Look at it. The Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to save, right, the hated ones. But notice, he didn't come to save. He excluded the religious ones. <laughs> Whoa. The Pharisees and scribes began grumbling at his disciples. Again, as we already saw last week, the Pharisees and scribes were the religious leaders of their day. They were considered the most holy ones. They were thought to be the ones who knew the Bible the best, the Old Testament, the best. They were, most, they were the most conservatives of their day. Did you hear me? They were the conservatives of their day. I guess you could say they were the leaders of the religious right at that time. Woo! That's the facts. The Pharisees were. They had only tried to they hadn't only tried to follow the law. They actually added more rules, rules so they could be even more holy. Okay, I'll add this law and this extra little thing so that I look even more set apart from the world. I really look nice. Add extra laws, extra rules. I'm all that. <laughs> I'm the religious one. I come to church every time the doors are open. I'm always there. I read my Bible every day. I pray. Most of the time I pray for sinners, not myself. I don't need prayer. I'm good. This is what the Pharisees were all about. The religious ones. Notice, they were all about self-promotion. They were all about exalting themselves. They were all about saying, look at me, and putting others down. And what did they do with Jesus? They began grumbling 
that is disciples. Begin grumbling. This word grumbling, I can't even express it, and I'm not going to give you the the uh, the uh, word because it's too much. But you get the idea. It is tremendously vivid. <laughs> I mean, it's like they're making sounds out of their mouth as they say, as the word is even written down. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. Can you believe this guy? Whoa. It's almost like disgust. Ugh. Can you believe this guy? Horrible as he is. And you associate with him. What are they doing? Elevate self, put down others. It's interesting. Who do they attack? His followers. His followers. They go to the disciples to grumble. <laughs> Why? Put down the leader, and the disciples will follow. They'll leave. Backstab the leader, everybody will leave. It's a common practice by these self-righteous, self-promoting, self-exalting men. The religious ones condemned anyone who did not seek self-righteous works. If you were working your way to God, if you weren't rather, if you weren't working your way to God, you were guilty of false teaching. If you associated in any way with Anyone that was unclean or a false teacher, you were a false teacher and should be rejected. He attacked the followers if they couldn't get the teacher. And the weapons they used were legalism, guilt, and shame. And this is what they do. Now listen, who else is excluded or the same group? They're called the, they could also be called the separatists. Notice what they say saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What's the root of this? What's the point? They wanted separation. They were like, look, you associate with tax collectors and sinners? Eating and drinking was another way of saying fellowshipping. They were questioning Jesus' purity. They were questioning his desire for holiness. They were separatists in their mind. They were holy. They were better than him. I never talk to tax collectors unless I give them my money and shame them and guilt them and say you're condemned. The tax collectors were the vilest people on earth. They stole, and the Pharisees knew it, and they hated them. We're holy. They're not. Herein lies the problem with religion based on self-righteousness. Only people that live up to their own self-righteousness were going to be accepted. And guess what they did whenever their self-righteousness people didn't match up to it? They raised the bar even if they didn't couldn't do it. They added some laws that they could do but nobody else could do. They made it impossible to be accepted by the religious they made it impossible. So now let me ask you a question. This is a hard one. Ready? This is one you ought to discuss at lunch. Should we all now then go down to the bar tonight, skip church, and get drunk? 
I mean, we should be hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners, right? Jesus did. No. You missed the point. You would miss the point. Listen. What was the motives of Levi's banquet? It was to share and honor and exalt Christ. His desire was to exalt the king, to bring these people together, to give them deliverance, to show them love and kindness and gentleness. It wasn't to go associate and do all the bad things again. He left the tax booth. He didn't go and stay at the tax booth and say, come on, guys, let's keep doing what we're doing. Let me introduce you to the one who delivers us. But on the same token, we must not be like the Pharisees. And self-righteously promote ourselves and say, I'm a Christian. I'm better than you. No, that's not how the Apostle Paul spoke, did he? I am the foremost of sinners. Christ came into the world to die for sinners, of whom I am foremost. So no self-exaltation. That's what the separatists were about. They were about exalting themselves. Jesus was fellowshipping with these sinners for the purpose of giving them hope. The separatists were just saying, follow me, be like me, so you'll be holy like me. That's the wrong motivation. I'm pretty sure I could spend an entire message just speaking about the differences here. Legalism, ladies and gentlemen, is evil. It's wicked, okay? Antinomianism, big word, got to spell it. Antinomianism, good job. It means sinning all the more so grace will abound. I can do whatever I want so that God's grace will just flow on me. I can do whatever I want because God is gracious. That's wrong too. It's evil. Both are wrong, There's a middle ground. It's not even middle. It's the only truth. Everything else is lies. (laughs) The truth is this. Live to exalt Christ. Honor the one who has delivered you. Exalt Jesus, not yourself. Die to self because he died for you. (laughs) Honor the king. Lovingly submit to him. I'm completely convinced that everybody in this room, even after, if you became a believer, can fall into legalism and self-righteousness. I'm convinced of this. We can all fall back into this thinking of the Pharisees. Our hearts are still prone to self-exaltation. I promise you, that is your heart, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care. Who you are, you are prone to this problem. You know why? I know. Because you're breathing. (laughs) And as long as you have these bodies of death that we carry around still until heaven, you will be prone to exalt yourself. I promise. We must be careful. What is the motive for our desire to be separate 
and to become holy. Why do we want to be this way? It's not to exalt ourselves. It's to honor and exalt our Savior. To love Him and serve Him and exalt Him. Even after we accomplish something great, we as believers can fall into this trap. How many of you read your Bible this week? Raise your hand. It's a trick question. Good. Have you ever done this? That's great, by the way. That's good. You're talking to somebody and you say, well, I read my Bible every day. I do it. I read it all the time. This is where the heart must be examined. (laughs) What is your motive for telling people? Thankfully, I didn't give you time to think about it when I asked you the question, right? (laughs) Well, I want to... Were you thinking about it? Well, I want to raise my hand because I don't want to look unholy and everybody else is raising their hand. Or, I raised my hand. Look, look. Look, I raised my hand. I am a Bible reader. Or, I sure wish Pastor Mike wouldn't ask that question. Because I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want them to think it's about me. See, our motives, our hearts are weird, aren't they? They're wicked. They can go anywhere with these little things. Your kids can come up and ask you this kind of question, and you can blow it. (laughs) I promise. Self-righteousness can come in. Be careful. Don't be like the Pharisees. Levi repented, and he honored Christ. He didn't exalt himself. So, who did Jesus come to save? Not the self-righteous. Not the legalistic separatists. Not the self-promoters. And not the well. He uses an illustration here in Luke 5.31. He says, And Jesus answered and said to him, It is not those who are well who need a doctor or physician, but those who are sick. He introduces the answer to our question. He really does give the answer. He illustrates it fine here. Jesus uses a picture, illustration. He's using a physical illness as an illustration for a spiritual truth. Again, a couple of weeks back, I mentioned the leper being cleansed was showing Jesus was able to heal. And his ability to heal physical illnesses pointed to him having the ability to do a lot more and heal spiritual problems, right? Here, Jesus is illustrating the reverse right now. He's doing the same thing. Here we see Jesus uses a doctor as an illustration to answer the question. So... Does this mean literally Jesus came to save the sick only? Sick only. Okay, who in here has a sickness right now? Physical sickness. A couple of you. Okay, who came for you? All of us, we're out. Anybody that doesn't have a temperature over 98.6? Sorry. Kick to the curb. No, not what he's saying. Obviously, he's using this for what? 
by the way, that was sarcasm. And I'll get to that in a second when he uses it. He was trying to say, look, you Pharisees are well spiritually, you think. You don't think you got a problem. <laughs> you think you're righteous. You think you got everything together. But you know what? I didn't come for people like you that are proud and think you got it all together. I came for the sick and the ones who know it. I'm desperate. And he illustrates it so well here, which comes to really the answer to our question. Jesus did not come to save the righteous. What? What? Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. Why not? What? Again, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. This statement is a summary of the entire sermon. There you go. You want the verse, memory verse, mark this down. This is your verse for the week. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. This statement is sarcasm 101. What is sarcasm? Um, you know, I got to thinking about this uh, with the deaf. Sarcasm's got to be a very hard thing to explain. I don't know. Is it? Do uh, Just nod yes or no. Do those that are deaf, do you understand what the word sarcasm means? It's very hard. It's a very hard concept. Think about this for a second. It's a verbal tone. Uh-oh. <laughs> that kind of throws it out for the deaf. But think about it. It's obvious, often the preacher or the person, the teacher, will say something where the opposite is actually true. And it's almost like a slap across the face. It can be really bad sarcasm or it can be gentle sarcasm. I think Jesus' sarcasm was pretty kind. Remarks that mean the opposite of what they seem to say and are intended to mock or put down or ridicule, ridicule someone. I, I tried to think of a good one. If I painted a really bad picture, a really bad picture, it was just horrible. And everybody looked at it and you said, and, and somebody walked up, like one of the children, walked up and said, now that's ugly. Or no, 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 if they said, oh, excuse me, I blew it. I blew it. I blew the whole illustration. You got to back up. If they went up, and uh, it would have to be an adult because kids don't think sarcastically as much. As much. You're getting me. But they walk up and they look at the picture that's really ugly and they say, now that's a masterpiece. That's really beautiful. It's not really beautiful. It's what? Sarcasm. It's really ugly. I blew the illustration completely. It just goes to show. See, Ryan, Omar, all you guys that are trying to preach, you're going to blow it sometimes. That was one of them. It was, yeah. You walk up, that's ugly! Exactly. <laughs> Not sarcasm. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> Here's the contrast. <laughs> Jesus says, I came to call the righteous to repentance. It wasn't that they were really righteous. It was that they thought they were righteous. 
They were really self-righteous. They were really as far wicked as possible. The opposite was true. They thought they were this, when in fact they were worse than the sick ones. I came to call the sinner to repentance. Who is the sinner? The sinner is the one that recognizes they're sinners. That's us. Now if we raised our hand, we'd all go, everybody in here that's a sinner, raise your hand. Me. That's me. I'm it. That's me. I'm the sinner. The wicked one. Right? The Pharisees, however, promoted themselves. And they were righteous in their own eyes. And they were well in their minds. They were dead and far from God. And he was in their midst and they didn't even get it. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a strong warning here for all of us. If you think you're righteous, you're not. If you think you are smart, intelligent, and fit, and know it all, you're not. If you think you've got this whole thing figured out, shame on you. You are not. We're desperately needy people. And if you don't recognize it, today's the day. You don't think you're holy, I hope. For if you think you're holy, you don't know how holy God is. You don't think you're righteous, do you? Not in your own, you better not. Because if you do, you're no different than the Pharisees. Sinners, that's who we are. And that's who Jesus came to save. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace that you came to save sinners like us. Our righteousness, our works are like filthy rags. Nothing in your sight. The best we've ever accomplished on our own is absolute garbage. But God, you came to save us. You're that kind master that loves us anyway. Praise your name. You are to be honored in this place. We worship you. We exalt you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.